0: Hey, really not fair to leave those as the last words we sing before I have to stand up here and talk. And on the week my daughter's going to college and she's going to go off and forget me too. I mean, come on, that's just not even right. Aren't those incredible lyrics? I will preach the gospel, I will die and be forgotten as long as you get the glory. Oh, that's good. I like that. I think I can give an invitation now and we can go home. I think that's good. That's good. Great job, worship team. Thank you so much for that. My name is Chad Balthrop. I'm one of the men on staff here, one of the pastors here, and I'm always pleased that we have this opportunity to gather together, and especially during this time of COVID, right? Um, the opportunity to worship together online has been remarkable, and I'm so thankful for that. There's really, in this generation, a thousand unique ways for us to connect with God and with one another, and but I'm thankful we get to do it from this location in this campus, and it's always a good thing. One of the reasons I'm grateful for what God has done in this location in Tulsa is because of just the rich history of faith that has been here for such a long time. Some of you are new and like me, you weren't here the whole time, but some of you have been here for a really long time and you'll remember Harvey and Jennifer Sparks. Do you guys, just wave your hand if you remember Harvey, yeah. They're in Mozambique right now and I was told before the service this morning that in Mozambique overnight, uh, near where Harvey and Jennifer are now, um, we have no reason to believe that they are in danger. We have every reason to believe that they're okay. But uh, in Mozambique, over the evening, there were several Christian churches that were attacked and burned to the ground this this evening. And so, um, there is definitely persecution in the world today, right? And that persecution takes a variety of forms. And just the idea that we can assemble, even if we have to wear masks or or whatever, um, that's not quite the same as facing. a uh, crowd of people who want to burn down your church simply because you will preach the gospel, die and be forgotten All as long as he gets all the glory. And so can we just stop for a minute and just pray for, uh, for Harvey and for Jennifer and them? Let's just pray for that. Father, I'm grateful to you for the love and the life that you've given to us. I'm thankful for this gospel that you've given to us that we have the privilege of being a part of your work in this generation in this community. And around the world. And so I pray that we would be faithful to you, that we would recognize the remarkable, matchless, wonderful grace of Jesus that you've given to us, and the way that you've saved us and called us with a holy calling. And you've given this incredible mission to fulfill. And Father, we know that some places in the world, it is far more dangerous to claim the name of Jesus than it is right here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And so I pray that you would be with Harvey and Jennifer. I pray that you would give them boldness to continue to speak your gospel, that they would continue continue to share the truth of who you are uh, and the love of who you are with people. And I pray that as you do that, that you would keep them safe for those churches that lost a physical place of worship. I pray that you would keep safe the believers that are there, that through the persecution that they would be bold and that they would trust in you completely through all of this. Father, I'll confess I don't always understand your ways and I don't always like the things I see in the world. But whether I... Trust it or not, I, or excuse me, whether I understand it or not, I trust you, and I'm grateful to you for all that you've uh, given to us. And so I pray that today as we take a look at your word, that we would be emboldened, that we would, that we would follow you closely. We love you, Father, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for praying with me about that today. And there are a number of things I just need to kind of put out in front of you before we get into the passage of Scripture to kind of help you know some things that are going on in the life of the church. And like I said, our church has a a rich history of faith, men like Harvey Sparks who are out on the mission field still sharing the gospel. And there are men and women who are in this room. Rachel was one of them. I see Jerry and Caitlin are back, and that's great. And uh, there are several others who have been out on mission, and, and I'm grateful for those who have done that. And it's just interesting to see the work that God has done through the people of this church, and he continues to do that. One of the things I want you to know about is that on August 16th, which is two weeks from today, on August 16th, we're actually going to come back into the building for both services and groups for all ages. And so that will be possible. There's still, yeah, isn't that good? We can celebrate that. That's good. That's a great thing. And so we're going to do that. And we're still going to be cautious with the bus ministry. The buses won't run on August 16th. We're not sure when that's going to take place. But there will be something for preschool children, students, and adults in, in small groups that will take place beginning August 16th. And then we'll have our worship service here just like normal. And that's really exciting. I'm thankful for that. Many of you have had an opportunity to meet Misael Gonzalez. Uh, Misael today is not here, and the reason why is because yesterday he walked at OBU. His graduation was yesterday. And then today at Wallace Avenue, which is the church he served before here, they're praying over him to finish out his ordination process. And so this is a big weekend for Misael, and I'm just excited about the direction that we're headed with Misael. And I want the church to understand what we're trying to do there. Um, simply because his name is Misael Gonzalez, and he's, uh, you know, far more tan than I am, right, um, and way more handsome too. And I'm not jealous. Um, and but uh, I want us to understand that what we're trying to accomplish from a from the perspective of the vision of our church is we're not trying to build a Hispanic church. That's not what we're trying to accomplish. We believe God has called us into this community, into this, into into Tulsa. To, to reach people with the gospel. That's what he's called us to do. We're called to reach people with the gospel. We're called to disciple those people and to help one another as we draw closer to Christ and as we draw close to one another. And some of those people speak English and some of those people speak Spanish. And Misael happens to be one who speaks both. And so what a privilege it is to be able to inject multiple cultures in multiple locations into the life of our church. And so that's our goal. That's our desire is for us to be able to do that, to be able to connect with people. Isn't it odd that this is just the way Jesus did things? He would connect with people right where they are in order to help them take their next step of faith. And we're going to do that in English, and we're going to do that in Spanish, and we're going to do that no matter what your socioeconomic background is or what neighbor you co- neighborhood you come from or what your background may be. We're going, to, we're going to be the church that does that. And it's not just about what God does within our staff, right? Right. It's what God does within us as His staff, right? We, the church, the people of His church, are His staff to go out into the world on mission and to carry the gospel wherever we go, and to do that. And so, I'm excited about Misail being here. And on August 23rd, God really has assembled an incredible team here to to lead out and to serve the ministries of our church. And on August 23rd, the the message that day is going to focus on the vision and the leadership direction of our church. And so there. There's several people I'll introduce you to, and there's several, kind of the strategy and structure of who we are, and then most importantly, the why behind what we do as, it, as it's founded in Scripture. And so that'll all be on August 23rd that you'll see all of that. And like I said, I'm so thankful for this community of believers and what God has done here because there's such a rich history and legacy of faith and legacy of faithfulness and we have the opportunity today in this generation you and I us together we have an opportunity to build on that legacy of faith so that someday somebody looks back and goes man I'm really I don't know I don't know man I may not know all their names but I sure am glad those people were here sharing the gospel drawing people closer to the Heavenly Father, raising Him up, up high and praising Him. And so I'm, I'm grateful that we get to par- be a part of that. And as part of that, I get to tell you about someone who is new to our staff, who is going to be specifically focused as our group's pastor, our group's minister here on the Calvary campus, and he's someone you already know and love. It's Mr. Jonathan Watts. Have you met Jonathan? Yeah. Yeah. So, and Emily is right there, and I'm so thankful for Jonathan and Emily. For the past 10 weeks, it's been remarkable to see what God has done in the life of this community. And and what I mean by that is on Thursday nights for the past 10 weeks, we've been giving out boxes of food and dairy products and sweating to death. It's awesome. Um, and it's been amazing to see the number of people who have been influenced and impacted by that. And Jonathan has been the key leader in all of that. Jonathan, tell us, how many... How many dollars have we given away in food and how many boxes do you just remember just a ballpark off the top of your head so we've only given away $675,000 worth of food none of that yeah isn't that awesome let's say thanks to God for that that is awesome Now, last Thursday was the last Thursday for that. We won't be doing that anymore. Um, The food that we were able to give away isn't food that we had to pay for. We were given the food, and we were used as the ones to distribute that. But, man, praise God for what God did through that. And thank you, Jonathan, for the way you let out in that. And as you lead, yeah, that's good. Isn't that good? Over the course of those 10 weeks, there were easily well over 100 volunteers that he managed and that came out from every campus uh, to help lead that. And what a beautiful thing it is to be able to, to serve our community in that way. And, and in all of that, we've had people who have been asking questions about, why would you do that? Why would you do that? And it just reminds me of something that my old youth pastor used to say, that, you know, you ought to live your life. If you're a believer, you ought to live your life in a way that just makes people ask Why? And not in that awkward, you're kind of strange. Uh, why? But that, hey, why? Why do you do things like that? Well, why do I do it? Well, it's an open door for the gospel because Jesus Christ died on the cross and He rose from the dead, and that's why I can be forgiven. I am, and now He's He saved me. He's changed me, and I'm I'm living for Him, and so. That's a privilege that we get to be a part of, and I'm so thankful for that. Jonathan, I'm thankful for you and just excited about the direction that God has for us as a church. Well, go ahead and take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 7. That's where we're going to be today. And as we turn to John chapter 7, we'll read some, some verses there in just a minute. But as we do, um, how many of you have a brother or a sister? Anybody have a brother or a sister? Yeah, most of us have a brother or a sister. No, no brothers or sisters over there? Yeah, that's good. Um, how many of you just like to pester and tease and mess with your brother or sister? Anybody honorary like that? Yeah. Uh, my brother and I, I have one brother. His name is Chris. He's younger than I am, and he's, uh, he's the tall, dark, and handsome one, and I was always the short, round, loud one, and that was, that was me. And so I was, I was the older one, so I was constantly constantly teasing Chris, and it's good to have a brother, isn't it? Especially one that you can tease. So I'd think, when we were really young, I'd look at my little brother and I'd say, Chris, why are you so ugly? And he just gets so mad and eventually he got smart enough that he'd say, same reason you're so stupid, you know We're just constantly messing with my brother. And then uh, at one point, I was about I must have been nineteen because we're about three years apart, three and a half years apart. He was sixteen and uh, we were we uh, we went to the same church together and we'd done a Christmas program and and so we had to load some stuff up to take back to a church on the north side of town. This was in Oklahoma City. Into his truck. He had a pickup truck. I didn't. I just had a little car. And, and so I hey, Chris, could you help me get this stuff back? And he's like, yeah, but I'm not going to stay with you afterwards. I've got some other errands to run on the north side of town. I said, that's great. And he goes, well, where are we going? I told him, the Village Baptist Church in Oklahoma City. That's where we're going. We were on the far south side of Oklahoma City. And he says, well, all right. I'll follow you. You just get in your car and I'll follow you since I don't know exactly where I'm going. But Don't drive like an old man. He tells me that, and I'm like, all right, bring it. And so we get on the highway, because the highway's right there next to the church we're on, and I take off, boom, and I'm driving a million miles an hour, and he's just doing such a great job keeping up, and we're weaving in and out of traffic, and I was not driving like an old man. I don't know how fast we went on I-44, but there was nobody in front of us for quite some time. And then we pass this underpass, or this overpass, and I happened to notice, just off to the right, um, are two of our friends in blue on motorcycles, (laughs) just right there, and it just so happened that our exit was right there, and so we zip past them, and as soon as I zip past, I don't want to get off, and so I get over, and they, I see them, you know, start their bikes up, and they're running, and they pull in behind my brother, because he was behind me, and I caught the green light when we came off the exit, and I, so I turned right and he caught the red light. so he stopped at the red light and both of the and I pulled around into an office park where I could see what was going on, and um, the other motorcycle officer did his job well, he kept going trying to find me, but I was in the office park where I had. Parked, and my little brother he got busted. <laughs> he got the ticket. It was awesome, and that. And my mom and dad didn't know that story until I told that story in another sermon that I preached uh, years and years later. Because I paid his ticket for him, I felt guilty. But you've had those moments with your brothers and sisters where you're like, okay, what is going on? You are such a jerk. What you know, mom? I'm the favorite. Mom likes me better than you. You were adopted, or whatever. You know, you were just constantly teasing one another. I said, you know, Chris, you look a lot like our milkman. You know, that's I used to tease my brother like that. So stories like that always make me wonder, and maybe this is a question you should ask yourself today. What would it take? What would it take inside your own family with a relationship like that with your brother or with your sister or with your mom or dad or cousin or aunt or just Just think about your family for a second. Based on your faith in Jesus Christ, What would it take, how would you have to live your life in order for you to be able to give your family a reason to believe? A reason to believe in the grace and the goodness of Jesus Christ. What would it be like? What would it look like for you to live your life in a way that would cause your family to be given a reason to believe? And here's the reason why I ask that question. It's because we're in the middle of what we've called the Gospel Adventure. And it's this idea at nine thirty six every morning, I'm reminded of a verse of scripture. matthew nine thirty six, my alarm comes up. And it says that uh, it says that when Jesus saw the crowds, he was moved with compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless. And uh, like sheep without a shepherd. And it goes on to say that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send laborers into the field. And so this gospel adventure that we're on, every morning at 9.36, my alarm goes off. And I'm reminded to pray, God, would you send harvesters to the field? to share your gospel with people, to tell people the good news that Jesus Christ came and he lived this perfect life, and I have not. I've lived a sinful life, and he died on the cross, and he rose from the dead, and that's why I can be forgiven. Would you send people into your harvest to be harvesters? And then I make it personal. God, would you send me? Would you give me an opportunity to tell the story of who you are and tell the story of my faith? And as I'm praying through these things, and as I'm thinking about this idea that when he saw the people, he was moved with compassion for them, there was a group of people that Jesus saw that didn't necessarily see Jesus the same way everybody else did, and that group of people was Jesus' own family. Now, we remember the story of how Jesus was born. He was born of a virgin, Virgin Mary, and then Joseph. And we celebrate that at Christmas every year. But one of the things we may not pay close attention to is the idea that after Mary and Joseph had Jesus, um, it was really, you know, Jesus was supernaturally born. But after that, they had a regular marriage, just like our marriages today. And so they went on to have other kids. So Jesus had half-brothers, and half sisters and so you see that uh, half brothers and sisters like James and like Simon and like Jude and you so you see that throughout scripture and one of the unique things you see about who Jesus is and his relationship with his brothers and specifically with his brother James is that his brothers while Jesus was alive they didn't believe that he was Messiah i find that to be fascinating while he believed while he was alive they did not believe that he was the Messiah. And I think we can probably relate to that, right? I mean, I'm responsible for my brother getting the ticket, and I'm responsible for picking on him and teasing him. And now I can't say that Jesus did any of those kinds of things. I'm sure he didn't pick on his brothers. I'm sure that he was the perfect brother, which was probably the problem. You know, he was the perfect son, which was probably a problem. But it makes me wonder, what would it take? I mean, just imagine that your brother is walking around town going, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. How would you feel about your brother? If he was doing that, I can, I just got to imagine that that's the way Jesus' family felt in those moments. And so when we look at John chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, that's what we're going to see today. So one of our practices is in a worship service like this, we like to honor the reading of Scripture by standing. So let me invite you to stand with us as we read John chapter 7 verses 1 through 5. And and then we're going to just talk a little bit more about the family of Jesus and what it means to be someone who gives our family a reason to believe in the grace of God. So here's John chapter 7 verses 1 through 5. It says, After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea. That your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. This is the word of the Lord praise be to god thanks you can be seated and you see it right there now tone in scripture doesn't always carry sometimes it's hard to tell when someone's being ironic or sarcastic sometimes it's hard to tell when someone's teasing someone else or messing with someone else but you just you at the beginning of that passage after this jesus went about in galilee And he would not go into Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. It wasn't his time yet. And the Jews were seeking. And the brothers, they knew that. James, Simon, Jude, they knew that. And so in that very loving way that brothers have, right? (laughs) That very loving way of going, hey, if you go over there, you're going to get beat up by the big guys. I think you should go do it. Let me watch. (laughs) I think you should go do it. I feel like that's what his brothers were doing. And the reason why they were doing it is made crystal clear in verse 5. For not even his brothers believed in him. So let's just go back to that question. What would it take? If you're on this gospel adventure and you're being moved with compassion for the people outside of your circle or outside of the walls of the church, think about the people inside your circles. Sometimes it's easy for us to go far away on mission to share the gospel because we can go there and leave the gospel and come back and be just kind of who we are. And sometimes we can do it outside the walls of the church. You know, we show up in church and we're all... You know, well dressed and nice and holy and whatever and we act a certain way but then we get into our office space and we're that employer or that employee that's constantly complaining or constantly cussing people out or constantly just being mean and nasty and rude and indifferent. Maybe it's easier to walk into our office space and transform our reputation because of what Christ has done in us and through us but then you make that circle even smaller and now here you are with your family. In the most unguarded of your moments, your family sees you, and with Jesus, they saw the sinless, spotless, perfect Lamb of God, yet they still didn't believe in Him. Now, it's a remarkable story. Because James, ultimately, after the death of Christ, he becomes the leader of the church at Jerusalem. And after the death of Christ, he becomes the one who writes the, the book of James that's, that's, in, the, that's in the Bible. He, and there's another brother, it's the, another brother of Jesus is Jude. He writes the book of Jude in the Bible. So there's this moment where they don't believe, and then, after the death of Christ, there's this transformational moment in their lives where suddenly they do. And you have to ask the question that we've been asking all morning long. What, what will it take? What would it take for you to live your life in such a way that you've given your family a reason to believe? See, I think the first thing we see in this passage, I think the very first thing we see is that your family is your first mission field. Your family is your first mission field. I like to say it like this My family is the first home of my faith. Now, I can do that differently than some people, and maybe your story is like mine. I don't know if your story is exactly like mine, but I grew up in a Christian home. My mom and dad were believers before I was born and had been for years. They joined First Baptist Church more a year before I was born, and sometimes I feel like I was born on a pew because from that moment on, my dad was rabid about the idea that on Sundays we're going to be in church. And so if I was bleeding out my eyeballs on a Sunday morning, we were going to be in church because that was my dad. And it's been very good for me. But, you know, I said my brother and I were night and day different. That... that that theme in his life has been different. He expresses his faith differently. He's a believer, but he expresses his faith very differently than I do. But we both had this benefit of growing up in a Christian home. Not only that, I had Christian grandparents on both sides. My my parents, uh, my, but my mom's parents and my dad's parents, they were both believers as well. They prayed for me and they... The Bible that I received on the day I went to OBU, I received from my grandparents with a note in the front of it that just talked about what it means to be faithful, and so I just have this legacy of faith in my own family that has raised me, and then I went and married this beautiful girl named Londa, and my in-laws are these incredibly mature believers. They're sitting right over there. They're right over there. Lonnie and Rosalind Williams, you can wave if you want to, or you can crawl under the pew if you want to do that, too. But my father-in-law studies scripture more than some pastors I know. And so I just have this incredibly rich legacy of faith and faithfulness in my own family. And so by the time I was nine years old, I had heard my entire life that Jesus was the answer. But I wasn't sure what he was the answer to. And I started asking questions and suddenly everything started to fall into place. And the reason why was because people in my family gave me a reason to believe. And I guess that's the second idea. We should live your life in a way. Live your life. If if your family is your first mission field, it's also the first home of your faith. Live your life in a way that gives your family a reason to believe. And, and I see that in what Jesus did with James and Jude. I see that in what, what happened inside my own family because faithfulness is persuasive, isn't it? Faithfulness is persuasive. There were times when my parents failed and there were times when my grandparents failed, but they had this pattern and habit for how they would confess when they were wrong and how they would forgive whenever I did something wrong. And that idea that the fruit of the Spirit that we talk about a lot, love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, those were served as a regular meal by my parents, to me and my brother, and by my grandparents. And so faithfulness is just such a persuasive thing. Turn with me, if you have your Bible either in your phone or as a paper copy, turn to Proverbs chapter 4, and you'll just see the power of faithfulness. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 25, Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. That verse 26 is the relevant part there. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. And I saw in my parents and grandparents and I just seen in my family the power of faithfulness and it was persuasive to me it was persuasive to me. And, and I see that in the life of Jesus, in his relationship with his brothers and his sisters, with his mother, and with all of those people that he interacted with. Jesus was forever faithful. He was constantly faithful, and that faithfulness was persuasive, even though during his life they didn't believe, but come to the end of his life and something changes, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. And so I guess out of that, I would just have to ask the question, are you being faithful? Are you one thing at home and another thing in public? Are you one thing at home and another, and another thing at church? Is the language you use and the way you act, how's your level of pettiness, right? How's your level of pettiness? How's your level of complaining? How's your level of anger? How's your level of addiction? How's your level of rest? What does your family see when they see your faith? See, because all of those inconsistencies that we have inside of our lives, God God covers each one of those through his forgiveness. But as family, we have to work at that, don't we? We have to work to forgive one another. We have to work to overcome. So we don't have to work for our salvation. We don't have to work for our faith. But in order to live our lives in a way that's trustworthy, in a way that's faithful, that would cause our family to go, hmm, I wonder why they're living like that. In order for us to do that, there's some things about Scripture that ought to be just true for who we say we are as followers of Christ. That's the next idea, that faithfulness is persuasive, but humility is compelling. Humility is compelling. Now, I know it had to be frustrating to be a little brother to Jesus, right? You've had that moment where, you know... You can do no right and your brother or sister can do no wrong. You might have felt that at some point. And Jesus was absolutely that kid who really never got anything wrong. And of all the people on the planet who could win every argument... Jesus was the one who absolutely could do it. And not only could he win every argument, but he could put you in your place while he was doing it. He could use words to make you feel this small. And when you weren't, you know, you were getting just a little bit more milk and cookies than he got, he could, and all of a sudden the milk divides, right? And there's just this big split and he can come in and take what. No, he didn't do any of that, right? He didn't, deliberately, he didn't win every argument. And deliberately, he didn't, make people feel small when he talked with them. And deliberately, he didn't use the power and authority he had to be God for his own benefit. Over and over and over again, Jesus, with his brothers, he showed them that he was using his power and his authority and his influence and his words on behalf of someone else. See, faithfulness is persuasive, but humility is compelling. Look over at Philippians chapter 2, just real quick, Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, it says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. That's exactly the pattern Jesus had with his family. And it's exactly the pattern that Jesus had with me and with you. He absolutely could have stood up at any moment and claimed his power and authority. He absolutely could have declared how right and how righteous he was compared to me or you. Yet in his earthly moments, he spent his time teaching us how to love one another, showing us the value of confession and forgiveness, and helping us see that he came to seek and save the lost. And I'm one of those lost. And I'm so grateful that he did. Verse uh, 14 and 15, watch this. This was one of the effects of the way Jesus would live his life in humility with people. It says, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I do not run in vain or labor in vain. You see, that's the way Christ lived his life in front of his brothers. And I think Paul in Philippians is challenging us to that same kind of faithfulness. And you know what? While Jesus was alive, his brothers just didn't believe him. They would tease him. Hey, they'd try to goad him into the place that he would go. There's a scene where Jesus comes uh, to his hometown and he heals a bunch of people and says, excuse me, he doesn't heal anybody. I apologize. He teaches a bunch of things and the whole city is walking around going well, who is this who are we know you your dad is joseph and he's the carpenter and and we see your brothers and we see your sisters why possibly would we even follow you you're just a carpenter you're not smart enough to be telling us what to do and it says the crowd raised up r- rose up with the intent of killing jesus in that moment and and he slips out. He slips away and he says he's not able to do any ma- amazing miracles there because a prophet's without honor, right, in his own hometown. And the thing that's remarkable about that is his brothers had to have been there. They had to have been. That's their hometown. And they didn't stop the crowd. They didn't stand in the way. They didn't step up and say, no, that's my brother. Nobody messes with my brother but me, right? They didn't do that. And it's because in his lifetime, they didn't know what to believe but Jesus did something that proved everything he said was true. They didn't see it during his life. They saw it afterwards. We'll talk about it in just a second. But see, that's the idea that that first, the very first things, we've got to recognize that our family is our first mission field. And the second thing we've got to see is that your family needs the grace of God through you. Your family needs the grace of God through you. Now, my story is very much a church story, right? And so some of you may be sitting here going, that doesn't connect with me at all. I didn't grow up in church. I, I, you know, I, came, this, I came late to this show or this party or whatever. But I have a friend named Brian. He's my best friend. And uh, Brian's story is very different than mine. Brian wasn't raised in church. And maybe your story is less like mine and more like Brian's. But Brian and I, we got, we met each other in second grade, and then we really became close in seventh grade. And Brian knew that church was a part of my life. He knew that Jesus was somebody who was significant to me, and it was interesting because we could do everything together. We, we did sports together. We hung out all over the neighborhood together. We'd play games together. We'd go to movies together. Uh, we ended up fighting over the same girls together. You know, it was that kind of friendship that we had. And here's what would happen: I would say, he would say, "Hey, you want to do something tonight?" And I would get to the point where I'd have to to say I can't I'm going to church or he'd be with me and I'd say hey you want to go with me I'm going to church Uh, you can come with me if you want to and every time Brian's countenance would just completely change he would go from being my close friend to being someone who would stand off and he'd be like I don't know I don't know about this church thing I don't know if I want to do that and then he'd go home and and I'm it's just the mysterious way that God works right Brian's home life was not the same as mine he didn't have believing parents one of his parents was an addict, and, and she hit it really, really well. Um, and she was not kind when she was not sober. And so there was lots of tension in his home all the time. There was lots of pain and lots of hurt in his home all the time because his mom was addicted. And I never really knew all of that until later because they hid it so well. And then the summer between our junior and our senior year, the summer between our junior and our senior year, Brian broke up with his girlfriend. And he calls, and I didn't know, and he calls me on a Thursday night, and I think his intent was to tell me, but his first question was, hey, what are you doing? And I gave the answer that on Thursday nights during the summer, I always gave, well, it's Thursday night, we have a thing at a friend's house that's for church, and I'm going, you want to go? I didn't even give him time to get to the girlfriend part. You want to go? And no, I've known him since second grade, been close since seventh grade. This is the summer between our junior and senior year. He always turns me now, down. I'm certain he's going to turn me down again. And this time he says, yeah, I'll go. What? Something must have happened. Yeah, I'll go. So he comes with me. And all we did was we went to a friend's house and there were some tennis courts around and there were some basketball courts and a pool and we just messed around and played and we had a great time and then a friend of mine gave a devotional and in the devotional he talked about the gospel, talked about who Jesus was and then we went home and on the way home he told me his girlfriend broke up with him and oh, this is gone. Well, man, that's terrible. That's why you came tonight. Now I get it. And so we talked about that a little bit and then he goes home. And on Friday, the next day, he calls me and he says, hey, that thing Brad was talking about, about how I'm sinful and I need a savior and about how Jesus was perfect, the sinless, spotless lamb of God, and how he died on the cross and he rose from the dead. And if I just trust in him for the forgiveness of my sins, Jesus, he really will forgive me. You know how he talked about that? Now, he didn't say all of those words, but that's the essence of what he said. And I said, sure. He goes, I think I just did that. I think I just... I think I just placed my faith in Jesus Christ. (laughs) And I said, Brian, that's awesome. Let's talk about that. And then he gets baptized. And then you know what happens? His dad gets saved. And then his mom gets saved. And then his mom gets freed from the addiction that she has. And today, Brian is preaching right now in Mountain View, Oklahoma, at First Baptist Church Mountain View. And his dad, he's not today, but a few years ago, was the chairman of deacons at First Baptist Church Moore. And, his mom, and so this family's life was totally transformed because God had the privilege of sharing his grace through Brian. Your family needs the grace of God through you. What does it look like? Well, it doesn't look like always being right, and it doesn't look like always arguing. You know what it looks like? It looks like you growing and serving the fruit of the Spirit to them. It looks like you being faithful. It looks like you being humble. It looks like you doing your best to submit your will to the will of God. Jesus said over and over again, I only do the things I see my Father see, and I only say the things my Father says. It looks like you trying to live your life that way. And then here's the thing I know. I know there's going to be moments that I fail. I know there's moments that Brian failed too, and so did his mom and dad. There were moments we all have these failures. So here's the thing I believe I believe that the length and the strength of every relationship is measured by our willingness to forgive when we've been wronged and our willingness to confess when we're wrong. And that's the thing that I see in the life of Brian that was so remarkable and so compelling for his parents. Instead of being that teenage brat who was constantly complaining and constantly arguing with his mom and dad, he became someone who would confess to them when he was wrong and ask for their forgiveness. And then he would begin to forgive them of the wrongs that they had done to him. And there was something so Persuasive and compelling about the faithfulness of God through Brian into their lives and the humility that they experienced from him as he would submit to their authority as parents simply to say, Yeah, I was wrong, Mom. Please forgive me. And in that moment when his mom fell off the wagon again, for him to treat her with kindness and tenderness and to forgive her in that moment. The length of every relationship you will ever have is measured by your willingness to confess when you're wrong and to forgive when you've been wronged. And here's the last thing that I want us to see today. This is the most important. Jesus had these siblings, these brothers and sisters that struggled to believe, and I'm sure you do too, When it comes time for us to share the gospel, how do we do that? Well, we give people a reason to believe because of the fruit of the Spirit coming out of us, because of the faithfulness that Jesus has empowered us to, because of the humility he's given us. But here's the moment. Here's the moment when James went, wow, that's my brother. And everything he said was true. You know what that moment was? It was when Jesus rose from the dead. Because, you know, if your brother walks around saying a bunch of crazy things and doing a bunch of crazy deeds, and then all of a sudden he dies, you think, story's over. Don't have to deal with my crazy brother again. But when your brother comes back from the dead, (laughs) I think I'm probably going to follow my brother now. He said he was going to do it. I think I'll probably, I think I'll follow him now. You see, here's the thing that James and Jude... All the all the half brothers and sisters of Jesus had to do. Here's the thing they had to they had to confront the truth of the resurrection. That's what you need to do. You know your family is never going to change. It's never going to change until you confront the truth of the resurrection. Our community is never going to change until we, as a people, as individuals, confront the truth of the resurrection. You know, in James, in the book of James, James is the one who says faith without works is dead. James was very much a man of action. He was the one who wanted us to move. He would say, it's one of my favorite verses in scripture, especially from the old King James. He said, therefore, lay aside all filthiness. In the old King James, he says, and superfluity of naughtiness. And receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. To say it more clearly, "Therefore therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Have you received the implanted word of Jesus Christ? Have you responded to the truth of the resurrection? I want to show you one passage of Scripture that I just find to be a remarkable end to this story of of the relationship of Jesus and James. It's 1 Corinthians. It's going to be up on the screen. And here's what it says. It says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the Twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. Jesus gave his brothers a reason to believe, and then he proved it when he rose from the dead. Jesus has given you a reason to believe. The fact that you're in this room this morning is evidence of the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And now, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he's empowered you to step into your family with this incredible story of God's grace and goodness in our lives. Just like James, you could have a brother, or a sister, or a mother, or a father who comes to faith in Jesus Christ and eternity will never be the same let me invite you to bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment we're going to sing a song in response today and maybe today the way you should respond to what god's word has taught us is to place your faith in jesus christ if you're not yet a follower of christ maybe today is the day you need to confront the truth of the resurrection because man my brother told me he was coming back and then he did it <laughs> wow that's the man i want to follow And maybe you need to follow him today. There'll be people all around who can speak to you about what it means to be a follower of Christ. Just tell them, I'd like to know more about what it means to trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. Jonathan will be down front, I'll be down front and we'll be ready to talk to you. Maybe that's awkward, just talk to someone in the pews next to you, in the chairs next to you. They'd be glad to do that. There's another group of us who are in here today, not just those who need to receive Christ, but there's a group of us who all have family and those family members may or may not be followers of Christ and you need to share the gospel with them. Maybe right where you are, you could use this song of response not as an opportunity to sing, but an opportunity to pray for them and for yourself, that God would give you boldness and clarity to share the gospel with them. You would share the truth of his love with them in a way that's clear and understandable, that God would draw them to himself and that you would have the privilege of seeing them come to faith in Christ. Maybe you need to call a family member and ask them to forgive you. Maybe you need to give forgiveness to someone. That's what this response time is for, for you to do business with God and in this moment maybe even with your family. Father, we love you. Help us today. Help us to be faithful. Help us to be humble. Help us to give the people in our lives a reason to believe. In Jesus' name we pray.